Amen. Hey, look at two or three people around you. Tell them, let's travel light today. Amen. You can be seated. I want to say a couple things before I say a lot of things. <laughs> um, I want to, I want to, I want us all to give a round, a, a, a round of applause to our worship team today. It is, I love it. I forgot halfway through worship that I had to speak today. <laughs> I was like, oh, I better, yeah, kick it into gear here. Uh, I love, I thank God for Austin and Hannah, for these musicians, for, um, for every person who comes through our team and our rotation every week. Yeah. Thank you if you're, if you're standing out there. And thank you, congregation, for jumping in with us and worshiping the Lord. Um, because it's not just something that you come to watch. It's something that you, that you come to join in with. And, uh, and I love Hannah and I love Austin. I'm going to offend people right out of the gate. Nobody in this church can beat me in Austin and spike ball. Or I'm sorry, pickleball. Or spike ball. You pick. <laughs> but I love them. I also, I also want to say I love my wife. I get to lead worship with her every week. She rocks, and it's a punny joke. Yeah, only you will get it now. You'll see in a minute. She was literally helping me dig out rocks for my message today, my illustrated message. So thank you. I was also thinking, like, if you see somebody who has a mic stand up here, chances are they're married to the person with the other mic stand. <laughs> Um, a couple things, a couple more things real fast. On the last, so for you parents who have kids in here, on the last Sunday, we have Family Fifth Sunday this month, and uh, we're going to have a kids' choir. I love when we have kids' choir. Do you guys remember we had a kids' choir at Christmas? There's just something special about it. Kids are so pure. Kids just, they, they open up, and what they're singing is real. I've been going back there on the third fourth, whatever Sunday of every month, I'll lead in here, I'll take my guitar, I'll go back to, with them, they'll all gather around me, and we will sing songs as loud as we can. I was in there last week, and I was playing, and there was kids behind me on this metal, like, um, table, and they were, like, playing rhythm, I was like, cool, y'all want to play drums? And every kid was like, yeah! And then about three seconds later, every kid in this church was banging on that metal desk, and I was like, okay, that's enough, <laughs> that's enough. Amen. So I want to talk to you about traveling light, traveling light through this light. I, I can't remember when it was that I, I taught this message. Uh, I, I taught the message called The Great Exchange, um, where we went through Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. Um, what led me into that was just a lot of stuff that, was, that Aaron and I were going through in our life, and to see God's hands on it, and, and we heard him strongly direct us when I spoke next time to, to bring that. And I kind of want to do a continuation of that today. But I just want to give you just a quick recap on what that was last time. Um, I heard the Lord say that my people cannot see the beauty of my kingdom because of the ashes that they have made their homes in. Um, so many of us are dealing with hurt, with pain, with unresolved sin, uh, with unforgiven sin. And we are creating our homes, our perspective, out of the brokenness and out of the ashes that we are living in. Isaiah 61 and 3, and I'm just going to read uh, uh, verse 3. And provide for those, I'm sorry, let's, let's start with 2. To proclaim the year of the Lord uh, in the favor of vengeance of, of our God, to comfort all those who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in, in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And the church said amen to that. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, for the display of his Splendor. That's God's design through all this, that you and I are as great oaks for the display of his splendor. That's why we were created to be the praise of his glory, and that's the end game of it all, that we are literally billboards for the goodness of God. Look at somebody next to you and say, you're a billboard for God's goodness. And again, quickly recapping, that word ashes in, in Isaiah 61 means worthlessness. And we talked about those of you who may be in a season and maybe you're here. Maybe God has healed you over the last however long. Maybe you're dealing with this thought that I'm not even worthy of the love of God. Nothing that I do, it makes any difference. And the enemy begins to come and lie to you and tell you things that are not true. We all know the devil's a liar, right? And when your perspective is from hurt and your perspective is from from, from a pile of ashes that you may be sitting on from dreams and callings and things that God has called you to that you've not seen come to fruition yet or somebody, somebody hurt you, whatever it might be, 
the enemy can lie to you right in that place and convince you that you're not even, you're not even worthy of being healed. But my God's a healer. And my God gives beauty for ashes, oil for mourning. And that's what I believe that he, we're going to continue talking about this uh, today. Because the, beauty, the beautiful thing about it is whatever you're dealing with today, whatever you're going through, he is there. He's in it with you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. And he walks with you through it all. I think the question comes down to this. Will you acknowledge that he's there? Because so much of our life is... Uh, so much, much of our life comes down to this place of we can only see what's right in front of us. So when we're going through difficulties, when we're going through challenges, when we're going through difficult seasons, has anybody ever been there? Sometimes it's so easy to just see right in front of you and you forget that the God of all creation is for you. And my Bible says if God is for you, who can be against you? And I've come today with several like little mini points today. Uh, but I want, I want to like plant this, this is my big takeaway that we'll get to in a second, but I want to remind you of the destination that we've been called to, and that's heaven. Heaven. Look at somebody and say heaven. We can get so caught up in the turmoil and the trials and the difficulty of this life that we forget that we're living for something more than this moment. And when your perspective changes to, I'm living for more than now, you begin to see with heaven's perspective. We must make it to heaven at all costs. I want you to say, at all costs. Our families must make it to heaven. Your kids must make it to heaven at all costs. Your, your friends, your coworkers. This is what we've been designed to do. That's why we have this thing called the Great Commission. To tell people, and, and a lot of times it's not just in words, it's in the way that we live. I would say that the way that you live is a lot more powerful than the words that you would speak. And every day we make thousands of decisions. Thousands of decisions. I read this in an article. Uh, the people who study this uh, say that the average person makes, are you ready for this? 35,000 decisions per day. Assuming that most people spend around seven hours per day sleeping, that makes roughly 2,000 decisions per hour and, uh, and one decision every two seconds. Even in your mind, you're making choices. You made a decision to come here. You're going to make a decision about where you're going to go eat after church today. How many of y'all made that decision already? <laughs> I love it. I love it. You make so many decisions every day. And, and I want you, to, I want you to, to see this. Thoughts inform our decisions. So what you are inputting into your mind is informing the decisions that you make and those decisions lead to action and then those actions lead to consequences, good or bad. So a lot of times we like to think of the big things in life, like, like what I'm doing right now, a lot of people in the church are thinking this is the pinnacle of Christianity. It's not. It is not. The pinnacle of Christianity is living your life laid down before Jesus Christ. No matter what you do, no matter if you have a mic in your hand, no matter if anybody sees you, the greatest thing that we can do is be, have a high spiritual integrity and serve God even when nobody's looking. Look at somebody next to you and say, I know he's right. <laughs> Those decisions chart the journey of your life. They do. We can make decisions that lead us to the heart of God, that pull us closer to him. If we make them with wisdom and if we make them with integrity, those decisions can lead you further away, can push you further away. If we make them with selfishness and evil desires that we can How many of y'all that know that every person in this world has fallen and it's only the grace of God who can bring us back to right thinking? And I want to say this. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff today, but I want to say this. You don't have the power and the ability to do it on your own. It's only through the blood of Jesus and his Holy Spirit that we can even live to what he's calling us to do. All, all God's looking for is a heart that will say yes. Yes. You don't have to have it all figured out. My Lord, I don't have it all figured out. I've been saved for like most of my life. There's people in here who have been saved for longer than I've been alive, but they don't have it figured out, out yet. We will figure it all out the very second that we behold him in his beauty. 
And they will, will know from that moment that everything that we faced in our life, it was worth it. So our thoughts and the decisions that we make. So what kind of standards should we keep for our thought life? What kind of standards should we keep for the decisions that we make? And I, I present to you, it's the word of God. The Bible says to take every thought, what, captive. That means that we are supposed to be guards of what is going on in our minds. And if we're guards of what's going on in our minds, that means we are guards of the decisions that we make that cause us to take action one way or another. And we're to be guards of that. I, we were playing um, volleyball earlier this week, and I just turned 40 last Monday. It's wild, guys. Well, thank you. <laughs> I made it to 40. And I know some of you are like, just wait till you're 60. Well, this is the oldest I've been, so I don't know what it's like. And we were playing volleyball, and, I, you know, I'd like to, like, brag, sit up here and brag and say, I can, I, I'm, a, I'm a finely tuned athlete. I'm not. I'm a weekend warrior. All right. We're playing volleyball. We have this big ball. It's like a, a beach ball that we play with. Not really. I don't know how to describe it. Um, so, you know, used to, I feel like even a couple weeks ago, I feel like 40s playing with my mind. I used to be able to jump and spike that thing. Well, I went through about three points where I would jump to spike it, and that ball wouldn't make it over the net. So I was like, something's got to give here because the people that I was with are not going to let you get away with that. And they didn't. So the next time I saw the ball coming, what did I do? I put this hand into the net, lowered the net, and was able to spike the ball. You know how easy it was to spike that ball when the net wasn't as high? It was incredibly easy. And I say that to say that we can't change the standard of living. I changed the standard of volleyball so that I could look better. And I feel like there's a lot of people in this world who tried to change the standard of living so that they can justify the way that they're living, but we can't do that. We have been called to live according to the word of the Lord. And I'm telling you right now, I love that song, Defender. Um, I love all the songs we sang today. I love that song, Defender, um, because it's so much better your way. We say that over, over and over. When you live according to the way that God has called you, Life is so, it's not, it's not easy. Life is so much different. You're not going to be saved and then start reading your Bible and then like float to work every day. Oh, here comes Nancy. Here she comes. She prayed this morning. That's not how it goes. You will go through the same difficulties, the same circumstances as everybody else in life. The difference is you have hope. You have a hope beyond the now. You have, a, you have a hope that might bring a miracle into your life. That's why we can't lower the standard. Because God's called us to live here. We can't be pulling it down so that we can say, oh, I'm good. And sometimes we like to judge other people's nets. And say, they're playing tennis. <laughs> It'll get there. But we, we, we live to one. And I love it because... God sent Jesus, who was the word that was made flesh. So he gave us an actual example of how to live life. And it's like, if that wasn't enough, I'm going to give you my spirit as well. So we're, we're double covered in there. We have Jesus, who is at the right hand of the Father, who is interceding for us. And now we have the spirit of God, who has been given to us, that allows us to live the way that the Bible calls. So I like to make things simple. I'm going to talk to you about three points today. Number one, say, make the deal. Number two, we have been called to, uh, to travel light. Say travel light. And the third thing I want you to talk to you about is have an at-all-cost mentality. And then my, my takeaway, what I want you to live, leave here with the understanding in your mind is that we have to get to heaven at all costs. There are so many things that are going on in this world. There are so many things that are going on around us. But we cannot compromise the gospel. We cannot compromise our living. We cannot compromise the decisions that we made. We must make it to heaven at all costs. All right, let's talk about make the deal. Say make the deal. You can either use your Bible or you can use this massive screen that we're going to put the, <laughs> this passage up here. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Pastor Ben opened with this today. Um, so right out of the gate, I was like, yes, God. <laughs> we'll start reading in verse 25. The Bible said, at that time, Jesus declared, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and of earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, 
For this was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except for the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Right here. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So what I love about this passage is he says in there, can you put that, back, uh, that verse back up real fast? Um, he says in there, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Like we understand what he's saying there. He, he, he knows the Father, and the Father knows him, and that he is going to be the one who reveals the Father. But then right after that, he says, come to me all. <laughs> come to me. So it's, it's, it, what he's saying is, I have access. Jesus is the way to the Father. And right immediately he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. How many of you have gone through seasons of life where you feel weary and burdened? You're probably weary and burdened right now. And, and I, want, I want to talk to you about this. Because that word weary and burdened, this is, I, I believe that this is one of the greatest temptations that the church doesn't even realize yet is that we are so busy, we have so many things going on, that the only way that we can achieve all the things that we're doing is to be self-sufficient. That's a good word. You're going here, you're going there, you're going this place, never even asking God, hey, what do you want from me? And then we build these lives that are crazy, and it's like the craziness. <laughs> I, I quit, you know, when people say, how you doing? And I'm like, oh God, I'm busy, you know. Everybody's busy today. Everybody's got stuff going on. And I believe that we heap upon ourselves a lot of stuff that God never intended for us to, to carry. The King James Version says, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Right? So this speaks of the burdens that we put on ourselves, what I was just saying, and the burdens that others put on us. The burdens that others put on us. Me putting my burdens on you, you putting your burdens on me, expecting me to fix your problems, me expecting you to fix all of my problems, expectations. If we could all just live the way that we feel like each other should live, this world would be in perfect peace. <laughs> I, there's this thing, right? I don't know how we get so caught up in looking at each other's stuff all the time. All the time. I got enough stuff to worry about in my own life. Do I got a witness in the house? But he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. This means to cause or permit one to cease from any movement or labor in order to recover and collect strength. When is the last time that you ceased in movement? I had a, I had a prophetic word when I was a teenager. And I still, I'm going to be honest with you, I still struggle with this word. And it comes back to my mind all the time. Debbie Hopkins, who was, who was one of the youth pastors that, that helped raise me. We, I started leading worship for serious when, uh, under her. She said, the Lord showed me that you're a race car that never pits. I was like, yeah, right. I gotta go. <laughs> you're a race car that never pits. And I want to tell you right now, it is the pit stop that allows the car to continue going. And a lot of us, man, even good things even things you're like, I'm going to do this ministry from the Lord. I'm going to do that ministry from the Lord. I'm going to create this. I'm going to move in this and that and this and that. But if you're not taking a pit stop to get direction from God, to get filled up from the, from the presence of the Lord. And listen, I know it's one of those things that I like to do. I like to go. And a lot of times the Holy Spirit will just bring back your race car that never pit stops. And I say, I hear you, Lord. I hear you, Lord. We can really overcome a lot of weariness and burden-laden living if we would learn to actually rest for real. Rest for real. I'm not talking about vacation. I'm not talking about going away to a beach, although that works. <laughs> I'm talking about resting in who God is inside of you and stop striving to achieve what only you can do through the presence of God. 
Then he says, take my yoke upon you, right? The ancient Jews commonly used this idea of yoke to express someone's obligation to God. There was the yoke of the kingdom, the yoke of the law, the yoke of the command, the yoke of repentance, the yoke of faith, and the general yoke of God. I have said in that span of time, yoke more than I ever had in my life. Say yoke with me. Y'all know when you like say a word so many times it don't make sense to you? Yeah. In this context, it's easy to see Jesus simply saying, forget all about that and take the yoke that I have. What is a yoke, right? I gave them pictures of, uh, it's a wood, so let me explain to you. It's a wooden bar or frame by which two animals are joined at the head of the neck to work uh, together. What's cool about this, right, if you study this, a lot of times farmers will take a young bull and they'll put him with an older bull, which I was like, that's, that's a good word because the older bull can teach that younger bull how to do the work properly. And that's how, that's, and I'm not getting in, that's not my message today, but, or it's a frame that is fitted to a person's shoulder to carry a load in two equal portions. The concept of yoke also appears in many scriptures as a metaphor for bondage or servitude. Uh, and not, not in a negative connotation, like we're servants of God. We, 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 we have been called to live a certain way. But Jesus here says, says, take my yoke upon you. So look at the life of Jesus. What was his, what was his goal? What was his purpose outside of dying on the cross? Uh, he tells us in John 4.34 that my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. He said in John 5.19, truly, truly, I tell you, the son cannot do nothing by himself unless he sees the father doing it. For whatever the father does, the son does also. So this yoke is a free gift to us that requires a willing submission on our part and it leads us to a posture of surrender and trust. It is to obey the gospel of Christ and to yield ourselves to the Lord. Who has their yoke on you? Who's put, because right, like farmers will put that yoke on the bull to be able to control which direction that they're going. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. So I ask you today, Potter's house, whose yoke do you have on you right now? Who is turning your head? Who is directing your life? Who is calling you forward or, pull, or holding you back? And I'm hoping that we can kind of answer that question more solidly in our, ourselves today. So again, he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Gentle and humble in heart. Jesus reveals his nature right here, more of his nature, I should say. What's the opposite of, of gentle? Unkind, brutal. What's the opposite of humble? It's arrogant, proud, boastful. Some would say narcissistic. Uh, I didn't come here. Maybe we'll shout. I don't know. Maybe we'll laugh. We'll cry. I don't know. My goal today is to come to get you to look at the mirror of Scripture and say, am I living like Christ? Because he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and we love that part. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. I'm gentle and humble in heart. Can you, can you look at yourself and say that I'm gentle and lowly in heart? So he says, take this and find rest for your soul. So he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Easy means fit for use, useful. It's like you have been fitted. How I many of y'all know that you have been fitted? You have been designed, you have been created for a reason, for, for this time, you are alive. Look at the person next to you and say, you've been created for now. Easy and light means light and weight, quick and agile. This isn't a call to be lazy or live an indulgent life. There is still a yoke to bear and a burden to carry, yet with, with and in Jesus, these are easy and light. Jesus' yoke is easy, not because it makes it lighter, uh, demands on us, but because it represents entering into a discipled relationship in which you are being taught how to live your life. And I got a cold, hard truth for somebody right now. If your yoke is hard and your burden is heavy, then we can't say that it's his yoke. 
if it's heavy and if you feel burdened. I'm not, now there, I feel like there's a difference between the weight of the glory of the Lord and heaviness. I feel like there are times that when you're praying that you feel this weight and this burden to pray. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people who are walking around and you can see it on them. There are no heroes in the kingdom of God. There, there's nobody who is above what Jesus has called us to do. So if your yoke is hard and your burden is heavy, then we can't say that it's, it's from God. We have to make a decision to take this beautiful exchange for what we have and take what he's willing to give us. And we're going to talk about that more in just a second. I want you to say, make the deal. Second part, we have been called to travel light. Life is a journey. From the time you were born up until right now and until the time that you die, you are walking this thing out. Some days are better than others. Who has good days in here? Who has bad days in here? Hands up for both of them. Life is a journey. And, and last, last, time we, uh, last time I spoke, we uh, got home at like 1.30 in the morning from South Carolina. Um, I remember telling Aaron, like I was standing up here, and I was like, I feel like I'm talking slow. Because <laughs> I was so tired. It was, it was daylight savings time and everything. But on that day, the Lord instructed me to talk about fruits of revival. And a lot of them had, uh, came back to the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm back here today, Potter's House. I feel like the Lord is wanting to show us what it looks like to live and to show the world around us what it means to be a disciple of Christ. So Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is, say, love, joy, peace, forbearance. Now, we're not doing very good. Ready? We're going to start over again. Y'all ready? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Above such there is no law. Fruitfulness, it's important. And there goes my bag. Fruitfulness, it's important. Fruit is not earned in working. Fruit is earned in abiding. Which means that we live, we live next to a big old field, and they planted corn in that field, which I love. It's getting high. It's getting big. We watched them come through on their big tractors, and they would, like, do farmer things. I don't know. <laughs> All I know is that in a very short amount of time, there was dirt and rocks, and now there's corn that's, I'm going to say it, yay high. <laughs> I feel like a farmer living next to it. I told Aaron when it actually grows up, I'm going, to put my, I'm going to put some overalls on and walk out in the midst of the corn. <laughs> but if a farmer could actually make corn grow, there would be no need to put it in the, in the ground. It's funny, I'm talking about corn and fruit. Um, so when you're growing fruit or when you're growing any kind of thing like that, it's abiding, it's waiting it's watering it. It's letting the sun come and hit it. It's doing the things that you have to do to create an environment for that, that crop to grow. And we've been called to live a fruitful life. I'm going to read you this passage, and I realize that it's talking about false prophets, but I want, I want to take it a step further for us. Matthew 7, 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, and bad trees bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. And I know we're talking about false prophets in that passage. But I want to submit to you today that that is the principle for all who claim the name of Jesus Christ. If you're not living a fruitful life and you're, you're trying to achieve the things of God while not changing how you live, you cannot grow good fruit when you're making horrible decisions. You just can't do it. So yeah, we're talking about false prophets here, but like in James 3.11, I want to just share you these two principles with you. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Answer is no. John 13.35, by this everyone that you will know my... Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
The way that we interact with each other, the way that we talk, the way that we walk, the way that we do everything in our life shows people who we are. So I'm going to tell you, I'm not calling you a false prophet, I'm calling you the disciple of Christ. You will be known by the fruit that you bear in your life. We must bear fruit. If we, if, if, if we, didn't, if, if we didn't have to bear fruit, there would be no such thing as the fruit of the Spirit. And these are, not, these are not just things that are cool, like to do every once in a while, the things that we're getting ready to talk about. But these things are called to be modeled in our life every day, every decision that we make, every choice that we, that we move into, every word that we say, these are things that God has called us to do. I want you to say fruit. Look at the person next to you and tell, tell them fruit. All right. I put these black things up, I'm going to reveal it like a magician. Boom. <laughs> feel silly doing that. Fruit. Let's, let's look at the fruit real fast. And I want you to see these two suitca- uh, these suitcases, these two backpacks, like you're strapping them on to take a hike. Life is a journey. You are walking. You are carrying something. You are a carrier of the presence of God, hopefully. Or you can be a carrier of other things. But these are the things that God has called us to live according to. Two, I want you to say love. I'm going to let this grapefruit be love. And like before you start looking into the fruit I'm using for each one, it's just random. Um, love, agape love. Love is the greatest test of your life, I believe. Not just love for one another, but how much you love God. And what does that look like? If I love God, he has everything, every part of me. And I, and I love that love is the first one because I cannot achieve the rest of the fruit of the Spirit unless I first love God with everything that I have. And I think it's another important thing we're talking about fruit of the Spirit. I read in a commentary that it is literally love of the Spirit, joy of the Spirit. It's not your ability to love. It's your ability to allow Him to love and show joy and peace and all the things we're talking about through you. I want you to say love, and we're going to start packing a lunch. The second one is joy. I want you to say joy. Joy is higher than just an exciting experience. Joy is much more than just being happy. Uh, Spurgeon said this, believers are not dependent upon circumstance. Their joy comes not from what they have, but from, uh, from what they are. Not from where they are, but from whose they are. Uh, but what, not from what they have, but for what they are, not for what they are, but for whose they are, not from what they enjoy, but from which, uh, from who suffered by them to give them the fruit of life. And so here we go. Joy. I want you to say joy. Joy. How many of y'all got joy in the house today? I, I, I'm a firm believer that joy, obviously love is an important one. <laughs> the important one. But I think that people should look at those who are chasing down. And I, I read this, I can't remember who said it, but they said it's no coincidence that the kingdom of darkness is known for have fun. Have a, sin will be pleasurable for a season. Yeah, but that leads to death. So there is this kind of like thought towards the kingdom of God that we're so straight laced. I like to have fun. I like to be full of life, laughing, because God, God's the inventor of all that stuff. And yes, it's more than the excitement of an experience, but we're not dictated unto by the circumstances that we have. Say joy. Peace. How many of y'all got peace? It's the pastor's all understanding. Peace. Peace is one of those things, right? This is hard to have in the day and age that we live because there is chaos that is being promoted every day. Every day. All the news channels, all the social media feeds, they're giving you, like we are living in those times with wars, with rumors of wars. There's always something that looks like it's about to just boom. How does the Christian, the disciple of Christ, have peace in the middle of chaos? Well, we understand that our steps are ordered by him. That the days of our life are written in his book. So everything that I do, if I'm doing it unto him, I have the peace of mind to know that if he's for me, then who can be against me? 
And even when I walk in trial, even when I walk in turmoil, I know that this thing is not done, so it's not good yet. It's going to be good once God completes it. I heard a, a speaker say this one time that they were a fan of the San Francisco 49ers and they had like Sunday night church. Um, and maybe you've heard me talk about this before. I just think it's a great way to put this. They had Sunday night church and the 49ers were playing at night. And so they couldn't watch. They had to go to church. And the church said amen to that. <laughs> amen. Yes. So he, he taped it. It was a long time ago. How I many of y'all remember VHS tapes? I'm 40. I know. Um, and so he taped it. And he went home. And on his way home, his buddy called him and said, hey, did you see that 49ers game? That was a great one. They won. And he was like, no. He was like, I'm going to watch it anyway. And since he knew how the thing ended, it changed how he watched it. So when the San Francisco quarterback would throw an interception, no big deal. When the running back would fumble the ball, no big deal. When they would miss a field goal. Although I think it'd be hard for all that to happen and them still lose, but you get what I'm saying. They miss a field goal, no big deal. They know they're going to win in the end. You know that you're going to win in the end. We've already won. We live from victory. So the things that you're fighting and you're battling in your life, you better know that that's the enemy making one last ditch effort to convince you to come down from that place of victory and to taste defeat that only he can give. But that's only a choice. The enemy can't make you do nothing. Even in the Garden of Eden, and it's funny, I have an apple right now. He did not take Eve and forcefully shove the apple in her mouth. Only thing he could do was convince her, and he did. How many things in your life is the enemy trying to convince you away from goodness on? In your family, your marriage, you're getting to a place of what, what I... I feel like Job's friends, are that spirit is still alive and well today. Because if you're having marital issues, I bet you, I'm not going to bet you, I'm just going to (laughs) say that you're going to find somebody who is going to affirm every fear that you have in your life. And you're going to begin to build a case. You know, Job's friends said, curse God and die. And you better watch what those people around you are saying because you might be eating bad fruit. Selah. I want you to say it again. Say peace. Let's talk about forbearance or long-suffering. I'll use this, long-suffering. It's funny. This means that you can have love, joy, and peace over a prolonged period of time. Right? How many of us use hangry as an opportunity to be angry? Long-suffering means that you can have love, joy, and peace, and it sticks around. It's not determined by who annoys you. It's not determined by who gets on your nerves. It's not determined by what circumstance is driving you crazy. Long-suffering and forbearance means that I'm sticking this thing out. I'm going through it. I can, I can maintain these things. And I'm telling you, man, we're going to talk about faithfulness too here in just a second. It's very similar. But long-suffering means that when the, when, the, when the hard times come, I'm not going to compromise on my faith. When the hard times come, I'm not going to walk away from the ones who love me that the enemy is trying to separate me from. I want you to say forbearance. Right, we're packing a, a lunch here, y'all. Kindness. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, uh, just as in Christ God forgave you. If we start forgiving each other like we've been forgiven, you know how much weight you would have off your shoulders? Uh Uh-oh, the unforgiven people didn't say Amen. We lock people in, in cages in our minds. And we remember what they did to us. And so you mark them. And so it's like you can't be kind to them because they hurt you. But how many of y'all know that kindness is one of the greatest evangelism tools you'll ever meet? Because there's people who are mean all over the place. But if you find somebody who's kind, it's like a ray of sunshine that is penetrating a hard heart. 
And I, I love Ephesians in that, in that passage. I, I encourage you to go read it because it like, I love like when the Bible lists things. I love that. Makes it a lot easier. Like the love chapter, there's several times it does that. But it says, be kind to one another. Forgive one another as Christ forgave you. Has God forgiven anybody in this house today? Pastor Michael talked about this, uh, the parable where the, where the man was forgiven a lot, and then he walked right out of the place where he was forgiven a lot. And to the person who owed him a fraction of what he was just forgiven, he had him put in jail. And what did the ruler do? He called him back in. He said, what did I hear just happen? And I'm going to be talking about the heart and worship here in a couple weeks, so you better believe we're going to spend some time in Matthew 5 because relationships determine how pure your worship is. All right, look at the next person next to you and say, be kind. Look at the other person and say, be kind. All right, goodness. Kindness and, and goodness are very closely connected. Um, it's, it, goodness is the uprightness of heart and life. Goodness is more of an inward culture, right? Goodness is, is, that, is that thing that we, I believe that we draw our integrity from, our morality, like it's what's going on on the inside of us, and I, I feel like you know when we sing like the goodness of God, I, I feel like we see the glimpses of that because we're reminded of how good He has been to us. And when you're reminded of how good God has been to you, don't that perk you up a, a little bit? Because you didn't get what you deserved. You didn't. And we're supposed to cling to those things that are good in our life. And how many times in our life do we? Oh boy. How many times in our life do we like to get the nitty, gritty, bad news, rumor mill kind of stuff? And we feast on it. Hey, did you hear about this person? Did you hear about that person? You know what I'm talking about back here. Goodness. Goodness is, is saying, listen, I'm not. I've had people come to me and say, have you heard about this person? And they think they, they come to a pastor and they'll let them, let, they can just trash them to me because I got to take it. <laughs> I'm like, listen, man, there are times in my life where I had a bad day. Remember when I raised your, you raised your hands for bad days? I've had bad days. And if people judged me on my bad day, they'd be like, you know about that, David Oldfield. But we're, we're not only to live with goodness, we are to see the, the goodness that God has put in others. Because what this comes down to is, I, I gotta see God. I wanna see God in you. Um, I want you to say goodness. Goodness. All right, faithfulness. This is the ability to serve God faithfully through the years and through temptation of life. Uh, it is not something we achieve by heroic virtue, it comes from the Spirit. It is the characteristic of a person who is reliable. Say amen to that. If I had a dollar for everybody who have, who's come to me in my life in ministry and said, I'm with you to the end, and then a year later they're not there, I don't know, I'd probably have 25 bucks. I don't know. <laughs> it's there, though. People who say, I'm with you to the end, and in the very moment that you make a decision that they don't like or you don't give them the opportunity that they wanted, that, that they weren't ready for, they're going to go to the church down the street that will give them that opportunity. Fruit. That was good. Faithfulness. That's talking about, man, when you are tempted, you are able to remain. If you tell somebody you're going to do something in your life, you better do it. Because if you tell somebody you're going to do something in your life and you don't do it and then time comes to tell them about Jesus, do you think that they're going to trust what you say? They're not. A fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. We have to remain faithful until the end. Let's move along. Gentleness. And this is what Christ said. I'm, I'm gentle and humble in heart. It is important for the Christian to see that the self-assertiveness that is so much part of the 20th century um, should not be valued highly. It is much better that each of us curtails the desire to be preeminent and exercises a proper meekness or gentleness. Meekness, that's just simply someone who is teachable and does not operate in pride. Gentleness. These are the fruit of the Spirit. This is not just a good idea that I'm like, hey, we should live this way. 
This is what God has called us to live by, gentleness, to be humble, to be somebody who is teachable, to be somebody who is not above anyone else. And then the last one is self-control. Self-control. I'm going to put this pomegranate in here and talk to you about it. Is the virtue of one who master his desires and passions, especially of sensual nature. John 3.30 said, he must become greater and I must become less. Luke 9.23, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. God, show us, reveal to us how you want us to live, how you want us to go and live this life. And I believe that that starts with self-control, with allowing God to come and make straight what's crooked, to make right what is wrong. You want to know how God tests me with self-control? Slow drivers. It's, it's, a, it's a challenge, y'all. We were driving a, a, a couple weeks ago, and my wife was like, it's just me and you in the car. And I was like, but the rest of these people are racing me. <laughs> Every area of your life, self-control. It's, it, it, we're to travel light, right? So I've put all the fruit in this bag. That's a pretty light bag. Like, you could go on a good journey with that. Plus, it will sustain you. Plus, it will, you can eat of this fruit, and it will give you energy to continue your journey. But I would also like to submit to those of you who are like, that's great and that's awesome, and let's get down to the truth of what's going on here. There's opposite of those things that I just told you. And they are way heavier than what goes into this bag of the fruit of the Spirit that God has called us to do. Let's talk about the opposite of love, which is hate. How many of us in, did you hear that? How many of us today... Are so consumed by hatred. You might love God, but you might hate your political opponent. Uh oh. Uh oh. Hatred is like a disease. And once hatred gets in your heart, it begins to consume the rest of you. And I would like for you to see if I put any of these rocks inside of this bag, we'd have a smoothie real fast. You can't mix these two, they don't travel together. Opposite of joy is despair. Some of y'all been watching too much news. Whose report will you believe? We shall believe the report of the Lord. But I've seen too many in church. Let's say, have you seen what Congress did? Have you seen what Biden did? Have you seen what Trump did? Have you seen what this person did, what that person did? And they forget that the government rests upon his shoulders. They see the forecast of the market. They see this. They see that. And they begin to despair because they're not believing the report of the Lord. What's the opposite of peace? Chaos. Oh, man. Some of us love drama. You want to know why your life is so chaotic? It's because you attract and you love drama. And it's heavy. Because while you should be spending time thinking about the good things of life and the good things of God, you're getting in mental fights with everybody that you can think about. He's getting too real. Move on. Okay. Chaos. 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 Opposite of long-suffering is short-fused and impatient. Some of you are wondering why God hasn't moved and done that thing that you've called him, that he's called you to do yet. And then the whole thing just falls apart. Rocks are heavy, y'all. <laughs> I'm gonna put all these rocks in this bag. I don't care. <laughs> you get so upset because the thing that God has called you to <laughs> has not come to pass yet, and it's because the 
the, who he's called you to be in that time, you've not rose to the calling of. And you start getting mad, you start getting short-fused, and you start getting frustrated with this and that. Oh, they get to do this, and I don't get to do that. And before you know it, you're frustrated at everybody around you because you have a short fuse, and you're frustrated. It's the opposite of long-suffering. Let's talk about the opposite of kindness. That's mean and cold. Mean and cold. I've met people who, they're just not happy with anything. They complain about the songs that we sing. They complain about this and they complain about that, about how we do things, this and that. And I'm thinking, boy, there's a kingdom full of things that you can be frustrated with. And I'm telling you, I just think that God has not called the Christian to be bitter and upset at everything. Goodness, what's the opposite of that? I believe that it's a, a conniving, conspirating person who's moving through the church, who's moving through the whatever, the halls of wherever you're at, and trying to convince somebody of a story that is what they want to hear. They're, they're moving and they're trying to change people's hearts and their minds. Opposite of faithfulness is unfaithful, in disobedient. When God has called you to do something, when God has called you to move in a direction and you're not faithful to do that, I mean, that's rebellion. If God has called you to do something, you better do it. Amen. Opposite of gentleness, I believe to be pride. And I believe that pride is sweeping throughout the church today. Pride is sweeping throughout the church today, even, even in this room right now, saying, you don't know me. You don't know my life. I'm telling you, sometimes you'll preach a message straight from the word of God and people will get offended by it because they think that they know more about God. And what I love in that passage in, in, uh, in Matthew 11 where he says that you've hid these things from the wise and the learned and you revealed them to children. I don't want to be so proud that I miss what God's doing because I believe that pride means that I know better than God. Self-control, self-serving. You are serving yourself. Everything that you do in life, every decision that you make is to put you in a position in which you can achieve what you feel called for. Opening doors that you don't belong in and then you've got to convince everybody that you, be, that you need to stay there and that kills. I, I believe that more pastors leave the ministry because they've opened the doors for themselves and they can't stay there because they've not been called. It makes me nervous when people crave a platform because you don't know the crushing you don't know the process. You don't know the sacrificing. You don't know. Don't crave anything that God has not called you to do because it will kill you. And so we pack ourselves down. Man, I'm so happy I ate breakfast this morning. We pack ourselves down with the heaviness and the weight. And it's no wonder we're coming to church and we're like, oh, man, how are you doing? Oh, I'm okay, I guess. And it's like you are carrying a pack of rocks on your back because, and I'm telling you right now, you cannot put these rocks in that bag with that fruit. It will crush it. It will kill it. That's why you can't just choose to be kind and to be faithful. You have to have love, joy, and all the things that were listed in that passage. You have to have all of them. The fruit of the Spirit. It's so easy to build identity off of this as well. It's so easy to build identity off of the heaviness and the weight, right? I got hurt by my dad, so I'm going to not be able to see God the Father as daddy, God. I got hurt in a relationship, so I've made a vow never to be in another relationship in love again. You can go over and over and over again by the things that we are hurt by in life. And if we allow those things that we're hurt by in life to dictate our identity, you will be a frustrated person that bears no fruit, and you're going to be wondering why, and it's because you have loaded yourself down with rocks. Everybody hurts. Everybody goes through difficulties. But the Bible says in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, what I just read you, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You don't have to carry this stuff on your own. You don't have to walk through life with the heaviness of these rocks that we put on our back and we walk. And it's so easy to build identity from that. I want to quickly talk to you 
about having an at all cost mentality. Say at all cost mentality. It comes down to this fact like is what we believe real or not? Because I, I truly believe that if, what, if, if we believe that what we believe is real, the, the, the church would be turned upside down in a moment of time. I'm not talking about, yeah, I believe that, that Jesus is Lord and I come to church and I do all that. I'm talking about you believe that everything that he has commanded in his word is how you should live your life. No compromise. An at-all-cost mentality. And if you're walking around with heaviness from these rocks that I put in there and you're walking around with hate in your heart and you're walking around with a short fuse and you're walking around with this idea that if they punch you, punch them back. If they say a mean word to you, you're going to cut them back with your words. You are never going to see the fullness of God in your life. And, and what's crazy is that God through all that stands there saying, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. I want to heal you. I don't want to make this right. I want, to, I want to give you this bag full of fruit and take that bag full of rocks because it's killing you. Having an at-all-cost mentality means that there's certain times, and I, I actually am going to increase that. There's a lot of times where I'm going to have to say no to something. Your walk with Christ is not just what you say yes to, but it's also what you say no to. A lot of us have relationships in this room that should be broken off today. A lot of us have relationships in this room that should be reconciled today. And when you build an identity off of the heaviness that you have and somebody hurts you, you you're going to wait for them to come and make it right. <laughs> there are some times in relationship and you're talking about forgiveness that you're never going to get the answer that you feel like you should get from the other side. Who can you control? Yourself. And an at-all-cost mentality means I'm not going to let anything or anyone stand between me and heaven. Because your kids are watching. Our children are watching. And if I'm letting compromise come into my home, if I'm letting compromise come into my walk, and they see me letting these little things hold me up and, 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 and pull me to the side, I'm going to tell you right now, it happens. We're, we're human beings. God knows that. Having, feeling fear is not a sin. When, he, when the Bible tells us a bunch of times, fear not, you're going to feel fear in your life. It's what you do with that fear after you feel it. Are you going to let it dictate the decisions or are you going to let, the God, let God come and do what only he can do in those moments where you're scared? But an at-all-cost mentality means I'm going to make decisions. I'm going to view my life through the lens of what he's called me to do. And if you feel like you're wrestling with these things that I put in that bag and the table collapsed on me and all those, I'm still gripping with that. <laughs> if you're dealing with that kind of stuff, and maybe... Maybe your life is like this table. Maybe there's somebody in this room right now who you felt like, boy, man, things are secure, things are good, and then all of a sudden, boom, some legs fall out from under you, and everything seems to be in shambles right now. Maybe you got a report from the doctor. Maybe you, whatever it might be, maybe you're living in a moment where you're like, things are, things are crazy right now. I want to remind you that God is faithful. God is steady. God is consistent. He is not scared by your circumstances. He's not scared by what you're facing. He is actually, in fact, the answer to those things. And life is crazy, but God's good. And he has a purpose and a plan for your life. And I want to want you leaving today thinking about is that I've got to lay this stuff down so that I can make it to heaven at all costs. I mean, how long have you been carrying the load that you've been carrying? How long have you been struggling through life and it's like you can see, you can see how this one thing is now affecting every part and you're asking yourself, like, who am I? Like, how did, how did I get to this place in my life? I feel the Spirit of the Lord right now. And 
And I, I, I know that there are some of you in here. There might be a lot of you in here. And you might be going through the toughest, most difficult time in your life. But I'm telling you that God is in this moment here right now to take the weight of everything that you've been feeling to give you an opportunity to take his yoke and to take his burden upon you. Hmm. Can you just pray for a second? Hmm. I ain't going to play any games today. I'm not going <laughs> to. If you would say that you've been carrying a load and it's crushing you and it's killing you and you're ready to drop it off, if you would say, yeah, that's me. I'm not going to have everybody stand up. I, I want you to get up from where you're standing, I want you to come down here to meet me. Listen, it ain't time to play games. I feel the spirit of the Lord. I feel the nearness of who he is. I feel him reaching to lives right now. And if you would say, I've been dealing with heaviness that I cannot handle anymore. I'm ready to drop it off. I want you to stand and come down here with me.